Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all here on this very warm day. Let's stand and worship God together. Please be near me 
singing. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to church this morning. If you've got your bulletins with you this morning, let's read the scripture that's there together in the call to worship. It's from Psalm chapter 75, verses 1a and verse 9. Let's read together. We thank you, O God. We give thanks because you are near. But as for me, I will always proclaim what God has done. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. If you'd like to bow with me, let's pray as we continue to worship. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather as a family to hear from your word this morning. We thank you that we have Pastor Glenn to come and preach and teach it to us this morning. We pray that our hearts would be open and that we would hear from your word this morning. We thank you for this opportunity once again. In Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen.
mic on. <laughs> Curtis, sorry about that. It's that. Bit of an adjustment from high school, but uh, by studying just a bit more, he still managed to make good marks, and he still had lots of time for fun and goof and fooling around. He loved the party life that was that was available there at university. He made new friends, and again, he got in with a pretty fast set. He had several girlfriends on the go at the same time, uh, which was a lot of fun, until one of them told him that she was pregnant and that he was the father. And she wanted him to pay for the abortion. <laughs> he was a bit tight in cash right then. His party life was expensive. But by making up a lie, he managed to get some money out of his parents to pay for this abortion. And uh, pretty much put that girl out of his mind after that. Until she got a hold of him one day and told him that she could never have any more children. The abortion procedure had done damage beyond repair. And she would never again be able to bear a child. And with tears of bitterness and anger running down her cheeks, she told him that he had ruined her life. Well, that sobered him up for a while, but soon it was back to the same old life. He did manage to graduate from university with an agriculture degree, but just barely. Far cry from the straight A's that he got in high school. After he graduated from university, his father took ill, and he inherited his father's farm, land, machinery, everything, and he began farming. He had met and fallen in love with with another girl at university, and they were married. And farming began quite well for them. They made good money. But they also spent money. And the day came when he blew the motor on his tractor, and he needed a new tractor. It was getting old anyway, he decided, and he wanted a new tractor. So he borrowed 600000 or whatever the cost of a new tractor is, from the bank and bought the biggest, latest model John Deere four-wheel drive tractor there was. Then he realized that he could pull bigger implements with this tractor, so he borrowed money, more money, to buy a complete line of new implements. He was deep, deep, deep in debt. But his cash turnover had always been high, and he didn't foresee any trouble with keeping up with the payments. That was the year that the drought hit. He harvested just enough to manage to put in a crop the next year, but that's all. He had quit livestock three years ago, deciding that they were too much work. And so the next year, he took out a big operating loan and tried it again. The stress of the lack of cash really got to him and his wife. They had been used to having money to spend. And now there was none. And the fights between them became hotter. Their three kids would stare at them with big eyes filled with fear as they screamed at each other. And more than once, Sam's wife threatened to leave. There was little love left in their marriage. Sam started staying away from home more and more. He would go to town for coffee every day. That waitress at the local coffee shop was a cute little number that he really enjoyed talking with. And 
much more pleasant than that war zone at home. And he began to go to that coffee shop quite a bit. And sometimes waiting until that waitress got off work and giving her a ride home. Well, as you can imagine, they, soon they were having an affair. And in a short time, as is true in a small town, Sam's wife heard about it. And in less time than it takes to tell, she packed up herself and the kids and was gone. Never saw her again. Sam started drinking pretty heavy after that. And his little waitress friend dropped him. And then the hail came and wiped out his entire crop. And Sam was forced to declare bankruptcy. He went to work at the local... John Deere dealership as a, sales, uh, as a salesman or a partsman. And he got to be the kind of person that no one liked. He was very bitter, constantly lamenting about how cruel life had treated him. He never got any breaks. And he became short-tempered and often taking it out on the customers. And so in short time he was fired from his job. He managed to find a job at the local bar serving drinks and acting as a bouncer. And thus he lived there out the rest of his life. Taking up with whoever came into the bar and would have him for the night. And he was miserable. And became more and more miserable to everyone else. Then the day came when his yearly visit to the doctor, he was told that he had AIDS. His life of promiscuity had caught up with him, and as he contemplated dying, he was scared to death. The other side held a nameless dread and terror for him, but he didn't do anything about it, and thus he died. And I don't need to tell you what happened after that. Next story, Jack. Jack was a guy who lived right. He always had been. Seemed like no one could ever remember a time when he didn't live right. Yeah, there were occasions of slight rebellion when he was in high school, when he pulled some pranks against the teachers and had to face some discipline, and when he rebelled against his parents' authority during his teen years a couple times. But none of those incidents really amounted to much. And none were very serious, and none lasted very long. Because he had made a commitment at a young age that he was going to live for God, he had become a Christian, accepted Christ as Savior and Lord into his life uh, before the age of 10. And that commitment was something that he was serious about. And always when he began to slide or to wander, that commitment got him back on track before he had gone very far. He got fairly good marks in, in school. He wasn't the top of the class by any means, but he was above average. Certainly high enough to grant him an entrance to pretty much the university or college of his choice. So he went to university taking a degree course in agriculture. And the pressure to drift into a life of sin at university was extreme, it was intense. But again, his commitment that he had made as a child held him in check. And he stayed away from those kind of things. Oh, he had ample opportunity. Many parties that he was invited to where he knew there'd be plenty of booze and drugs and loose women. But he stayed away. The atmosphere at university was not one that made it easy for someone who believed the way he did. The idea of a God was 
ridiculed very often. The idea of sin was very much sneered at. The notion that there were absolutes in the area of right and wrong, of morals, that was laughed at. But Jack stuck it out, and he graduated with good marks. Again, not the top of his class, but respectable marks. Good, respectable marks. After university, Jack met and fell in love with a young lady who had the same beliefs and the same commitment that he did. And they got married, and they started farming. He had inherited some land from his uncle, and with that as collateral, he managed to borrow enough money to buy some more and also some old machinery. And life wasn't easy for them at first. But Jack and his wife were happy. They farmed their land, they looked after their livestock, and slowly as the years went on, they slowly got ahead. And in time, four children blessed their lives and blessed their home. As I said, it was slow progress. Some years they went backwards, like the year the drought hit, and the year the hail wiped them out, and the year the cattle prices dropped to rock bottom. But they hung in there, they planted a bigger garden, they fixed up the old machinery with makeshift parts and lots of bale wire. I heard someone say once, you give a farmer enough bale wire, he'll go to the moon. <laughs> Kind of like my dad was. Eh? Lots of bale wire was used then. <laughs> but, and, and they kept on farming. And slowly but surely they got ahead. Not that they ever got rich by any means, but they managed to get ahead of their debt. And the time came when Jack could buy some newer machinery. Both Jack and his wife were active in their work for the Lord. They were both active in their church. And the Lord blessed them. He gave them a strength of character that was remarkable and that people noticed. They didn't go off the deep end in the stress of the bad years. With a faith in God, they kept on with a smile, knowing that God would provide. Their character developed and blossomed in those years. They didn't fade away. They didn't wither and die. Their roots were deep in their faith, and that gave them life even when everything around them was dying in the drought. Their children were raised with a great amount of love poured out on them, but firm discipline as well. And over the years, the children all made commitments to Christ and took on for themselves, personally, the same values their parents had. Everyone liked and respected those four children. As they were nearing their retirement years, Jack and his wife made their last loan payment. And from then on, everything was straight profit. They managed to invest a fair amount for their retirement years, but more than that, they were looking forward to their eternity and glory. They were by far the most respected people in their community. Everyone looked up to them. Whenever anyone had a problem, they always went to see Jack and his wife. He probably did more counseling than the local pastor did. Everyone looked at them with a great deal of, of respect and said, there is a couple who have prospered. And Jack, in his old age, died with a smile of expectation on his face, knowing he was going to walk on streets of gold eternally with Jesus Christ. Both of those stories are fiction, stories that I made up. 
But I'm sure each one of us, without thinking too hard, can put names of real live people into those stories. Because those stories are not unusual to real life. And that brings us to our scripture passage for today, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a psalm which talks about godliness and the blessings of godliness. And in a sense shows us a bit of a contrast between godliness and worldliness. During the summer months, as you know, we're looking at some selected psalms, focus being on our personal relationship with God and how that plays out in everyday life. So, Psalm 1 this morning. It's a basic lesson on the advantages of living a godly life. And the psalmist contrasts that with wickedness. And in so doing tells us that having a personal relationship with God and living consistently with how God wants you to live is in fact a huge advantage and a huge blessing to you personally. So let's look into Psalm 1. We need to understand that a life of godliness is the way to go. And we can understand this by gaining an understanding of the blessings of godliness that are given in Psalm 1. Just two, just two that I want to look at this morning. Blessings of godliness. Number one, a godly person is fruitful and prosperous. A godly person is fruitful and prosperous. I'm looking at the first three verses there of this psalm. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor the st- or stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. first two verses, verses 1 and 2, kind of give a description of how a godly person acts. He or she doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He or she doesn't follow the advice of wicked people or wicked ideologies or the philosophies or the way of thinking of world, worldly people. They don't take up with their philosophies of life. They don't look at life from that perspective. A godly person as well doesn't stand in the path of sinners. Godly people make sure that they aren't on the same path as sinful people are. They don't do the same things. They don't go the same direction. They don't get involved with the same sinful activities. They don't get on that road and that direction for life. They stay away from that. And then it says godly people don't sit in the seat of scoffers. They don't join the skeptics as they mock everything that is good and clean and decent. We're seeing a lot of that these days, aren't we? A lot of scoffers. A lot of skeptics. Scoffing anything good and right. Especially in the political arena. Special interest groups mocking and scoffing anything or anybody who stands up for what is good and clean and decent and right. The seat of scoffers. Godly people don't join those people in that kind of activity or in that kind of thinking. Notice the progression here from walking to standing to sitting. That path away from godliness and into sinfulness is like that. First you walk into it a bit. Then you kind of stand around and enjoy it. And then finally you sit down and just become part of it. On the other hand, it says, a godly person is one who delights in the law of God. 
who delights in God's word and meditates on it day and night. That's where his interest is. What does God have to say? God has revealed what he has to say in his word, in the Bible. In the Old Testament times, of course, that uh, as David is writing this, that it was called the law. That's what they had up until that point, and they called it the law. Uh, the law specifically was the first five books of the Bible, but, but all the books of the Old Testament uh, sometimes were just summarized as the law. So that was their Bible at that time. So that's what David is talking about. A godly person meditates on that, reads it, thinks about it, meditates on it. What does this mean? And then, once you know what it means, how does it play out as I live my life? What's the application of that? And they meditate. That's what they think about. That's the direction. This is God speaking. How do I line up what God wants with my life and live according to what God wants? Meditates on the law of God. And verse 3 tells us what the result of a godly life is. A godly person becomes like a tree planted by a river. Or a stream, or whatever. <laughs> Streams of water, it says. Its roots, the roots of the tree, go deep in that water supply of that stream or that river. And this tree is fruitful even in bad years because it has that water supply. Its leaves don't wither, even in the dry years, because its roots are deep in the stream. This tree prospers. And that's how a godly person is. His or her roots are deep in the faith, in their faith in God, and more than that, deep in God's word. And because the roots are deep there, gaining the constant supply from God's word, constant supply of life from God's word, he or she doesn't wither when the storms of life come along. He or she is fruitful. He or she blossoms as a person. Their life positively affects others. Like Jack. In the story I told at the beginning. He prospered. Not necessarily materially, no. But as a person. An enrichment of life. That's what godliness does for people. They turn out like Jack. Friend, do you want to be blessed in your life? Do you want to prosper as a person? Do you want to be like that tree? Want that life of happiness? The secret lies in a life of godliness. Psalmist says, how blessed is that man. Blessed. There's a happy person. A blessed person. Most people want a life of happiness. In fact, in the United States, it's right in their Declaration of Independence. Right in there, it declares that the pursuit of happiness is an unalienable right. And why are so many people unhappy? Well, they're pursuing happiness, but they're pursuing it in all the wrong places. Now, on the surface, it often looks like a life of godliness is boring. 
And a life of sin is exciting and thrilling. And, yeah, it probably is that for a day or two. But, believe me, many have found out to their sorrow that pursuing happiness in a life of sin is like chasing the wind. Happiness is found in a life of godliness. That's where happiness is found. So how do you make it happen? Well, back to verse 2. Delight in the law of God. Spend time in God's word, the Bible. Read it often. Read it regularly. Read it always. And not just read it, but meditate on it. Think about what it says. Prayerfully think about what it means. And then prayerfully think about how it applies to your personal life as you live out your life and all the things you've got going on at work and then with your friends and with your relationships and with your home and your wife and kids and all that. What does it mean in all these areas? Delight in the law of God and meditate on it day and night. Friends, blessings come from a life of godliness. Don't forget that. Remember Jack. He prospered. Godly people are like that. They prosper like that. When all is said and done, they are the ones that will have a happy life. And then secondly, a godly person is safe from the fate of the wicked. That's the second blessed of a blessing of being living a godly life. You're safe from the fate of of the wicked. Verses 4 through 6. The psalmist says here, the wicked, they're like chaff. Just an empty shell. No substance inside. The wind easily blows them away. And for this reason, it says the wicked won't stand in the judgment. How can they? they there's nothing there to stand. They're just empty shells. They're chaff. Sinners won't stand in the assembly of the righteous. In the end, when we get to glory, it'll be just the righteous there. There aren't going to be any sinners there, any wicked people there. Because there's nothing there. They're chaff. The wicked will all perish. They're just like the chaff coming out of the back of your combine. Wind blows it away, rots on the ground. In the spiritual realm, the wicked will not be able to stand on judgment day, but will perish. They will spend an eternity in spiritual death, which is what we call hell. That's the wicked. Like Sam, sorry in the beginning. No substance. The wind blows them all over the place, pursuing happiness in all the wrong places. Their lives ending up a mess. Facing an eternity of destruction when they die. But you see, the godly are spared that kind of fate. That's one of the blessings of godliness being spared the fate of the wicked. Friend, if you want to be spared the fate of the wicked, you need to be a godly person. No such fate for the godly. So therefore, we see from this psalm the blessings of godliness. Number one, they're fruitful and prosperous. Number two, they're spared the fate of the wicked. Friend, when you reach the end of your life, how would you like to end up? Would you like to end up like Sam or like Jack? Godliness is the answer. How do I live like that? Well, it starts, of course, by inviting Christ into your life, confessing your sins and asking him for forgiveness and inviting him to be your Savior and Lord of your life. When you do that, he comes in and lives inside you. He 
wipes the slate of your sin clean and righteous, gives you righteousness. But then with the Holy Spirit indwelling you, he gives you the moral strength and discernment that you need as you go forward in that. So that's where you start, and then you follow the instructions here. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. There's lots of very ungodly and worldly counsel out there that they present it in a way that comes across as, oh, this is, this is the latest, this is the latest uh, intellect and wisdom and, that we, we have, and it, it's wickedness. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the seat of in the path of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Delight in the word of God. Get your answers there. Meditate on it. Like I explained earlier. God blesses a life lived like that. And you'll be like Jack. Not exactly like Jack. But you get the idea. You'll prosper. Remember, real blessedness, real happiness comes from a life of godliness. So if you haven't here, if you're here today and you haven't already, may I encourage you to commit yourself to a life of godliness? Delight in the word of God and meditate on it day and night. And encourage you to do that and live accordingly. You do that for your life. And your life is at the end and you look back. You and everyone else will be able to see that you have prospered. Let's take our time of silence. Let God speak to you. What is God saying to you, to me, personally and individually this morning? I'll give you a few moments. For our final song, I chose It Is Well With My Soul, which is number 493 if you want to take your hymn books. But um, I feel like it's a good wrap-up when, by the grace of God, we're transplanted from an arid desert into beside the streams. That's when we can say it is well with my soul. So let's stand and sing together. Uh